Hey, good morning, faith family. Good to see you. If you got your Bible, make your way to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. I want to say hello to those in our venue as well as in Lakeville. We are so delighted that you've gathered with us today to worship. And we're in a series that we're calling The Search. Uh, we're going through the book of Ecclesiastes looking at how do we find meaning in life. And this series has been really, really intense. Um, and, and I thought I would just share with you, uh, because of the intensity of this series, just some of the emails that I've received that have been really, really encouraging. So while you're turning to Ecclesiastes 2, listen to this and just rejoice with me. One email I got this week says, Thank you for continuing to bring hope every Sunday. My wife and I have been attending for about a year now, and I've never seen my wife this excited about her relationship with Christ as long as I've known her. I struggle constantly and can resonate with the opening video of this series, the one that you just saw, the guy waking up every day searching for meaning. This is about a year ago I overdosed on pills. Thankfully, God saved me and delivered me through the darkness at that time. The devil keeps plaguing my mind as of late, and I struggle with suicidal thoughts. I don't want to be there. And I know that God has a plan for my life, even though sometimes my heart tells me otherwise. Knowledge seems like vanity when the heart is broken. Nothing makes sense right now. But this I know for certain, I need to be at Berean every week and in constant prayer. Someone wrote me, amen, you can rejoice with that, that's fantastic. Says I've gone through gone through a roller coaster of highs and lows in my lifetime. A brother's death, a kidnapping and rape, an alcoholic mother, a brutal relationship. And I forgot that God was with me and the darkness grew. The moment I accepted the light to shine on my face and all my difficulty and traumatic situations, tragic events were no longer tragic. In fact, they evolved into my understanding of the love that God has for me. And then this last one, it's a long email, but just one sentence that particularly jumped out was, I just want to say how grateful uh, grateful I am that you've said it's okay to be sad, it's okay to be in pain, it's okay to be distressed by the circumstances of life, it's okay to struggle. Anybody been there? Like, can I just say, this is why we're here. Folks, we're not here to do church. Are you kidding? Like, we're not here to just kind of sing some songs and let's hear a little talk on how to have more obedient pets and then go home, right? Listen, listen to me, Lakeville venue. Listen, we're here to talk about real life. We're here to talk about your life because you are, we are all searching for meaning. We're trying to make sense out of a life that doesn't always make sense. And there is hope that can be found. And so these emails just represent just a small portion of what God is doing in our life through this series because it's forcing us to be honest about life. And yes, it is intense. This morning will be no different. It may be the most intense, but I will tell you last night my 10-year-old son sat in the front row and I didn't say anything in front of him that I wouldn't say in private. And so we're going to deal with the reality of life. Are you ready? Let's do it. Let's stand now for the reading of God's Word. Ecclesiastes 2. We're just going to read the first three verses, and then we'll unpack that in a few moments. Verse 1, Ecclesiastes 2. I'm convinced these are the very words of God. I said in my heart, come now. I'll test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also is vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad. 
and of pleasure. What use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly, till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word to us. Thank you for this book that you've given us that helps us face the realities of life as we look for meaning. Um, Holy Spirit, come and be our guide and lead us into truth. I am praying for freedom from bondage this morning. Because if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. So Spirit, come. Do the work that only you can do. And we ask it only for one glory, and that's the glory of Jesus. In whose name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 You may be seated. Little music trivia for you this morning. They broke the record for the most consecutive weeks at number one in the modern music era. When their second song debuted, it debuted at number two, which gave them the number one and number two spot at the same time, which only 11 artists have ever accomplished. They held that number one and number two spot for 26 consecutive weeks, making them one of only two artists that have ever stayed at the top of the charts for a half of a calendar year. Now, without saying it out loud, how many of you think you know the artist? Lakeville venue play along. A few of you do. All right. Well, in case you don't, here's just a little bit of a hint. All right, now how many of you know that you know, right? You're sure. How many of you knew before that song? All right, well, you got it right if your guess is the Black Eyed Peas. The Black Eyed Peas. The song that we just played, which was at number one for 14 consecutive weeks, is a song called I Got a Feeling. Right, the lyrics go like this. I'm going to rap it for you. No, I'm not going to rap it for you. That would be embarrassing, right? Uh, and on YouTube. Anyways, it says, tonight's the night. Let's live it up. I got my money. Let's spend it up. I know that we'll have a ball if we get down and go out and just lose it all. Listen to this language. I feel stressed out. I want to let it go. Let's go way out, spaced out, losing all control. Let's paint the town. We'll shut it down. Let's burn the roof. And then we'll do it again. On Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Saturday to Sunday. Get with us. You know what we say. Party every day. Party every day, right? <laughs> and then we'll do it again. Now listen, whether or not you like that song or whether or not you've even ever heard that song, the success of it was proof that it resonated with our culture and where our culture is at. In fact, Billboard magazine called it, quote, an anthem for people, listen to the language, trying to escape life's pressures by going out and having a ball. And of course, I got a feeling was not the first song that ever expressed that desire, right? The Beach Boys said you can have fun, fun, fun. 
Cindy Lauper said, girls just want to have fun. The Beastie Boys said, you got to fight for your right to partay. That's right. Kiss, all they wanted to do was rock and roll all night and party every day. All Sheryl Crow wanted to do was just have some fun. And all Justin Timberlake can do is dance, 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 because evidently he can't stop the feeling, right? (laughs) Nor can radio stations stop playing that song, please. Or what about Minnesota's very own The Late Prince? Now listen to the lyrics of this and tell me they don't speak Ecclesiastes language. Quote, War is all around us. My mind says prepare to fight. So if I got to die, I'm going to listen to my body tonight. 2000 party over oops out of time. So what do you do? Tonight we're going to party like it's 1999. I got soul, brother. I got soul, brother. Listen, if this preaching gig doesn't work out, I'm just saying, I'm just saying. Keeping my options on the table, all right? Wow. So what's the message here? The message is, if we're all going to die anyway, if there are ultimately no answers to the questions of life, then just party. Just go out and have a ball. Just go out and have fun. Go up and do it again and again and again and again. And that's what Koheleth does. It's exactly what Koheleth does. Now listen, if you're new to the series, listen, Koheleth is the main character in this book. If you're searching for his name, it's the phrase, the preacher. His name, Koheleth, means one who assembles like a preacher or a collector. And that's why the English translations translate it, the preacher, but his name is Koheleth. He is of great status, a Solomon-like figure. He has great resources, that of a king, and he's searching for meaning. Last week, he tried to find meaning in knowledge, in wisdom, but he said it ultimately falls short, and here's why. Because knowledge tends to open your mind up to more problems. There's a lot of things about life that the more you know, the more you wish you didn't. And not only that, it doesn't provide any security. Cancer doesn't ask you what's your IQ score. The hurricane doesn't ask, uh, well, which home is the home of a college graduate? Knowledge doesn't protect you from that. And ultimately, you can't outsmart death. So knowledge is ultimately meaningless, according to Coelith. And so life is a question that can't be answered. And according to Coelith, God made it that way. So now he turns to pleasure. Look at verse 1. I said in my heart, come now. I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. Go, baby. Anything that you see that looks good, anything that feels good, anything that's appealing, anything that's pleasurable, yes, is the answer. I'm going after it all. Now, I, I want to take just a, just a moment here to make, I think, what is a profound point here in the text, and then we'll come back to Koelith's search. Notice the phrase in verse 1 that says, Come now, I will test you with pleasure. Now, that links us to the last verse of chapter 1. Look at it, verse 18. 
For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. I said in my heart, come now, I'll test you with pleasure. So here's the the shift that's taking place in the text. Are you with me? The shift is this. Since knowledge didn't work out, since knowledge didn't ultimately provide the answers to the questions I'm asking, then I will now turn, come now, to pleasure. And here's why that's insightful, because... Once you lose your search for objective truth, the natural slide is to do whatever is right in your own eyes. That's true for a country. That's true for a culture. That's true for a family. That's true for a church. It's true for an individual, namely this. When you lose an objective reason for living, you will find a subjective reason for living. When you lose a grasp on truth, then the slide is, I'll do whatever I want. Enjoy yourself. Live without any rules whatsoever because knowledge, wisdom doesn't work. Listen, this is American culture. I'm not trying to be hysterical. I'm not trying to be emotional. I'm just trying to be historical. This is exactly why we are dealing with what we're dealing with in American culture, just purely from a historical standpoint. Let me take you through this journey over the last five decades quickly. The 1950s, show of hands, how many of you remember the 1950s? Okay, two of you. It's good. It's good. There was a loss of innocence. World War II is over. Population is growing rapidly. You have an entertainment explosion that takes place. And who becomes the ultimate definer of values and mindset in American culture? Answer, Hollywood does. Hollywood begins to shape the American mindset. You come into the 1960s. In the 1960s, America lost a sense of authority. There's protest and Woodstock, riots in L.A., Detroit, Memphis, Chicago. There are two major assassinations, that of JFK and Martin Luther King Jr. And there's a sense of really lacking any sense of authority in American culture that continues. You come into the 1970s, and there's loss of love. Drugs and sex explode. It's not that that hadn't been there before, but it really begins to explode at this time. People who are searching for love are settling for sex, and the divorce culture explodes. You come into the 1980s, and what does America lose in the 1980s? They lose a sense of style. If you have a pair of parachute pants, burn them in Jesus' name, all right? I mean, what were we thinking? But that's not really what America lost in the 1980s. What we lost was a sense of values. You have the rise of technology and wealth. Materialism becomes a major, major focus. Do you know why? Because one of the most successful movies in the 1980s was Wall Street. Do you remember that? 
And what was the message of that movie? Greed is good. And values begin to erode. In the culture, you come in the 1990s and faith continues to erode. Community continues to erode. You've got school shootings. You've got the L.A. riots. You've got the Oklahoma City bombing. You come into the 2000s and we lose a sense of security. We start off with Y2K and everybody's afraid of that. And then you get 9-11 and you, you enter into this age of terrorism and everybody is afraid and insecure. Here's my point. Is it any wonder that we stand here today with so many people searching for hope? Just historically, what we've lost. Because when you lose a sense of truth, the natural slide is do whatever you want. I'm not trying to pick a fight. I'm not trying to pick out issues. I'm just simply telling you honestly that a culture gets to the point where they say marriage can be whatever you want marriage to be and you can have your lifestyle and I'll have my lifestyle and we ought to accept all forms of religion even though they make competing truth claims. Why? Because when you have no objective reason for living, you'll find a subjective one. It's just the natural slide. I mean, my goodness, I could spend the rest of the day in denominations that have gone down this road where when you give up on the pursuit of truth, this is where it leads. So Coelith, because he has abandoned that, decides, I'm just going to throw a party, man. I'm just going to enjoy myself. And man, listen, he throws a party. Boy, does he know how to party. He throws a party that makes any party you've ever been to look like a preschool birthday party. I mean, look at verse 10. Look at what he does. Chapter 2, verse 10, he says, And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. Do you see what he's saying there? Now, remember, this is a man of great resources. This is a a king-like figure. This is a Solomon-like figure. He has all the resources in the world, and here's what he says. Whatever looked good, I did it. If it was pleasurable, I was all in. And he gave himself to four primary expressions of pleasure. Number one, humor. Laughter. Look at verse 2 of chapter 2. He says, I said of laughter. Coelith hires Larry the cable guy. And Will Farrell, Jim Gaffigan, brings Bob Hope back from the dead. He watches all day marathons of Dumb and Dumber and The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. And live from Jerusalem, it's Saturday night. And he laughs it up. Have you ever had one of those moments you laughed so hard you cried? You laughed so hard that your stomach hurt. How many of you like to laugh? Please say all, right? We love to laugh, don't we? Isn't it good to laugh? I love laughter. I love making my kids laugh. Do you know one of the things I love about our faith family? We laugh. We Don't we? I do. I don't know about you. I had a guy just a couple weeks ago, first time here, uh, probably his last time here, was walking out, stopped me and just said, I don't think you ought to laugh in church. And we had a, a lot of a conversation and it was for the most part pleasant. And I just graciously said, if you don't like to laugh at church, you're probably not going to enjoy Berean. I mean, seriously. I mean, you need to know we love to laugh. Church is fun. Worshiping God ought to be one of the most exciting things we do. Can I get an amen, right? I mean, come on now. Laughter is a great thing. 
but it can also be the dark cave of a troubled soul. It can also be the dark cave of a troubled soul. Think John Belushi. Richard Pryor. Robin Williams. Or one of my favorites, and to this day it is so sad, Chris Farley. All the laughter in the world could not give them peace. Laughter is a good thing. It is a gift from God. But we can turn that into something that will provide meaning in life, and it becomes the dark cave of a troubled soul. Number two, it's not just humor. It's also wine. Verse 3 says, I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. From the cheap beer at a NASCAR race, I had to work that in there, uh, Tennessee whiskey, the elegant wine tasting of California, Coella tries it all. He tries it all. He even has his own vineyards. He tries all the best wine you could possibly have. Now, I don't have time to do a biblical theology of alcohol. I've written on this topic. I'll just say three things that I believe are crystal clear in the Bible. Number one, drunkenness is sin. There is no denying that in the Bible. Drunkenness is sin. Number two, that abstaining can be a wise thing. Abstaining can be a wise thing, and many people do abstain purely out of wisdom. But number three, that wine is a good thing. It's a blessing of God. Read the Old Testament. Read the Gospels. Read the book of Revelation. It in and of itself is not necessarily a bad thing. It's a gift. One day we're going to be at the marriage supper of the Lamb, and there won't be Pepsi there. How's that for good theology, right? Wine is not necessarily a bad thing. It's a good thing. But but listen, listen, wine can also be the dark cave of a troubled soul. Do you remember Dennis Williams? Dennis Wilson, the, the Beach Boys, which I referenced earlier. His life really reflected their music. Fast cars, easy women, perfect waves, and endless summers. That is, until they found his body in 13 feet of murky water in a Marina del Rey boat slip. Do you know why? Because at the age of 39, he was now dead after a heavy day of drinking. He had checked himself into a 21-day detox program months earlier with a .28 blood alcohol level and traces of cocaine. They said at that point in his life he was drinking at a minimum a fifth of vodka a day. Here's what one of his ex-wives said. Oh, this is so insightful. Quote, it hurts to see people you love go down. Dennis was empty inside. He tried to fill that need with anything he could. This is not about wine being a bad thing. It's about the fact that it can become the dark cave of a troubled soul. Number three, Coelith runs after music. Look at chapter 2, verse 8. It says, middle of the way through, it says, I got singers, both men and women. This guy's so rich, he just hires his favorite bands to come and play. He doesn't have Pandora, doesn't have an iPod, right? So he just hires Survivor to be waiting in his bedroom. <laughs> 
so that as soon as he wakes up, it's the eye of the tiger and he's getting pumped up and ready for the day. He flies in Chris Tomlin for his quiet time. He's just in the background. You're a good, good father, right? And he just brings in his favorite bands to listen to all this music. Now, how many of you, be honest, love music? Oh my goodness, I love music. And it doesn't even have to be, sorry to offend you, Christian music. I just love good music, jazz, classic country, I know, right? But I thought you said you like good music, right? I do. But I just love music. Anybody with me? It is a good thing. It's such a gift from God. Sometimes songs say things that our mouths can't. But sometimes music is the dark cave of a troubled soul. I remember getting the phone call. (laughs) How is that for transition? They don't teach you this stuff at seminary, all right? (laughs) Seriously, though, I got a phone call, 7 o'clock on a Wednesday night, and the voice on the other line says, your grandfather has passed. And do you know what this teenager did? He walked into his room. He put the headphones on. And he tried with music to drown out the pain. Because sometimes music is the dark cave of a troubled soul. Finally, Coelith gives himself on this pleasure ride to sex. Sex. Verse 8. Not only does he hire all these singers, but notice that the next phrase is that he had many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. One of my favorite theologians, a man by the name of Waylon Jennings, (laughs) the late Waylon Jennings, said this, is this not Ecclesiastes or what? Listen to this. Only two things in life that make it worth living are guitars tuned good and women. Are you kidding me? Koalith wrote that song. <laughs> the only things in life that make it worth living, that make sense out of life, that you try to get peace in your soul is what? Music and sex. This is no doubt a parallel to Solomon. Solomon had Seven hundred wives. It's hard for me to say. I struggled getting that out. And not only seven hundred wives, three hundred concubines. That's a thousand women. He's the Wilt Chamberlain of the ancient Near East. Listen, he's not looking. He is not looking for Mrs. Wright. He's looking for Mrs. Wright now. Sex is a good thing. Can we, we should not be ashamed to talk about this conversation at church. Sex was designed by God. God is the one that put two people in the garden and said, be fruitful and multiply. It is God's design. It is a gift from God. But sex, make no mistake, can be the dark cave of a troubled soul. That maybe if I could just have a man in my life, maybe if I could just have enough women in my life, then I can make sense out of it. Could God's word written hundreds of years ago in this book, Ecclesiastes, be any more relevant for today? 
We do this all the time. Namely, you and I, yes, you and I, look to indulgence and pleasure for meaning. The only reason we do not go to this extreme is because most of us don't have the resources. But you look at the celebrity culture, at those who do have the resources, and you'll find the same life. Here's why I know that what's true of all of us is we look to pleasure and indulgence to try to make sense out of life, uh, to try to find meaning in at least three ways. If I had more time, I'd give you more, but I'll just give you three, and I'm trying to drill this in so that you don't say, well, this really isn't my issue. What? Are you nuts? Of course it's our issue. Three reasons. It's going to get uncomfortable like it hasn't already. Number one, we overeat. We overeat. The National Institute of Health says more than two-thirds of adults, that is 70%, are overweight. More than a third, that is 35%, are obese. Jim Gaffigan says, what's the big deal? Comedian Jim Gaffigan, what's the big deal about Thanksgiving? You say we overeat. And he says, yeah, but we do that every day. The only difference between Thanksgiving and every day is that Thanksgiving you're doing it with people you don't like. Otherwise, it's the same day. We always overeat. Not only do we overeat, we're oversexed. The porn industry is a $15 billion industry in the U.S. and $100 billion worldwide. It at one point, I don't know if it still does, had larger revenues than Microsoft, Google, Amazon, eBay, Yahoo, Apple, and Netflix combined. Not only do we overeat, not only are we oversexed, we overspend. The consumer debt, the total consumer debt in America, are you kidding me, is $3.4 trillion. The average person has over $10,300 in credit card debt, and that's just credit card debt. Listen, my point is simply this. Self-indulgence is an American way of life. Don't tell me this doesn't apply to you. You say, are you trying to meddle in my business? Yes! (laughs) In this way, and mine too, by the way, here's why I say yes. I'm trying to expose your heart. That is, your heart, more than you realize, is looking to pleasure to make sense out of life. This is not just an American problem, it's a human problem. In fact, did you earlier when we read verse 10, did anything stick out to you? Let's look at it again. Look at it, chapter 2, verse 10. And it's the very first phrase. Does it ring a bell? And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. Does that ring a bell? It should because uh, we read it last week. You remember last week when we were talking about the pursuit of knowledge, I took you to the fall and showed you how the the pursuit of knowledge was at the core of the fall. Well, it wasn't the only pursuit. Let's look at it again. Genesis 3 on the screen here, verse 4. The serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and then notice this next phrase, does it ring a bell? And that it was a delight to the eyes. Oh my goodness, it looks so good. Oh, how good is that going to taste? Oh, the, the, the pleasure. 
And that's why she ate. And we've been eating that fruit ever since. You and I look to pleasure to provide meaning. Here's the deal. When Coelith, when the music fades and the women go home and the jokes end, the music fades, um, his conclusion is it's vanity. It's a vain search. And here's why. Three reasons. That Coelith will say, now listen to my language, listen to my language. Three reasons why pleasure won't satisfy. Did you see that? Three reasons why pleasure won't satisfy. Number one is this, because it's empty. It leaves you empty. Look back at chapter 2, verse 1. He says, in my heart, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. Now here's the following statement. But behold, this also was vanity. I've told you before that word vanity. I'm using the word meaningless. But it's meaningless. Listen, it's meaningless because it's empty. That's what that word means, vanity. It's almost like vaporous. There's, there's, there's nothing ultimately there. Here's what he's saying right, right here. Pleasure is great. It just doesn't last. Pleasure is great. It just doesn't last. You get the buzz. You feel the passion. But rather than satisfying you, what does it do? It keeps you coming back. You got to go out the next night. You got to go back to the computer the next day. You got to go back to the relationship again. Why? The very fact that you have to go back out again on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Saturday to Sunday, and then you have to do it again and do it again and do it again is because it's empty. If it wasn't empty, you wouldn't have to go back. It's vanity. It's full of emptiness. That's why you have food addictions and sex addictions and shopping addictions. Because the party doesn't last. Now, this is so important. Please hear me, Faith Emily, because when I was growing up in church, this tended to be what people in the church would sometimes say. And I don't even know if they really understood what they were saying. They would say, yeah, you know what? You don't do X, Y, or Z. Don't pursue all this pleasure stuff because it's not fun. Not fun? What planet are you from? Why do you think there's so many teenage dropouts? Because they've been fed a lie. That's why. It is all kinds of fun. It just doesn't provide any meaning. Coelith is not on a search for fun. He's on a search of finding meaning in life. Oh my goodness, it will give you all the fun you want, but it will leave you empty in the morning. Friday night will be a blast, and you'll regret it Saturday morning. It's empty. And your life proves that it's empty because you keep going back to the computer. Because you keep going back to the mall. It is vanity. Number two, why pleasure won't ultimately satisfy is because it won't let you escape. Look at verse three. I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. Now, I, I wish I had a little more time here, but I'll just have to be quick. This phrase, my heart still guiding me with wisdom. Do you see that phrase there? In the Hebrew, it's the idea of being drug along. How how do I say it? It's um, as he's pursuing pleasure, he still can't get something off his mind. 
wisdom is still there. Knowledge, in other words, there's something still occupying his mind as he's pursuing pleasure. And this is ultimately, I believe, what he's saying is, as I'm pursuing pleasure, the problem is this. It still doesn't answer my questions. The bottle helps me forget for a moment that I lost my son, but it doesn't answer why I lost my son. Like the, 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 being drunk, the, the, It's maddening. It's why he uses the word. It's madness multiple times because I'm pursuing the very thing that's supposed to give me answers, but I'm not getting any answers. It's so maddening. You see, pleasure will help you forget, but it will never explain. It will help you forget, but it will never explain life's biggest questions. Number three. Y'all glad we're talking about this? This is real life. It's not worth the effort. It's not worth the effort. Look at verse 2. I said of laughter, it is mad. There's that language. And of pleasure, here it is. What use is it? So here's what he's saying. Um, Why go to all the expense if there's no payoff? (laughs) Why? Why in the world would you spend all your time, money, energy, on a pursuit that's only going to enslave you. I have never, ever, ever met the porn addict who said, porn was worth losing my family. I have never talked to the alcoholic who said, the drink was worth the destruction of my career. It doesn't gain you anything. What's the point when you run after these things in the name of meaning and all they do is enslave you and they don't give you anything? You go after it to get and all it does is take. Take, 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 take. And it's so maddening. Oh my goodness. This is why I love Coelith. And you're like, this is the Bible? But aren't you glad it is? Because it speaks into the soul. So here's what Coelith is saying, and then we'll we'll answer him. Um, Knowledge didn't work, so what's the natural slippery slide? It is, I'll just go after pleasure. I'll just enjoy yourself. Let's party every day, party every day. We'll just give myself fully to that. The problem is, that doesn't, bring meaning either for the reasons we've just listed. So what do you say? Please look at me. You'd better have something to say. Because Coelith is here this morning. She's here this morning. In places of his or her soul that nobody else knows about. He's out there this morning. She is out there. She's at your school tomorrow. She's at your work tomorrow. He's in your... You'd better, Christian, have an answer because this is real life. 
Mama told me it isn't going to mean anything to a person who's searching for meaning. So what, what's the answer to someone like Coeleth who comes to the end of his road and says all this pursuit of pleasure means nothing? And this is where I think most Christians give the wrong answer. Here's the answer that I heard from church most of the time. It's this, quote, that's right. Pleasure brings no meaning. Pleasure brings no meaning. So here's what you do. Don't drink. Stop looking at porn. Don't listen to that old rock and roll music. And whatever you do, don't laugh. Don't you laugh. Right? I mean, any of you know Christians that look like this? Right? I mean, it just, it may be the guy I talk, I don't know, right? So it's like, you don't, you don't laugh. You don't, if you do anything that feels good whatsoever, repent. That was the message I was told. In other words, don't live by an indulgence, live by morality. It's this, stop living without rules and start living by the rules. But here's the problem with that answer. A, it's wrong, and B, it doesn't work because Coeleth is right. Are you listening? Lakeville venue, meaning is found in pleasure. In fact, you'll never have meaning in life until you find pleasure. Turn to John 2, and we'll end with this. We'll have to end with this because I'll probably be fired. John 2. It's all right. I'll come back next week either way. All right. I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's, a, it's a joke. Come on. Don't ag me on. That's not good. Look, look at John 2. What's the right answer? Verse 1. And on the third day, there was a wedding at Canaan in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there, and Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. And when the wine ran out, so that's important. You've got a major embarrassment. This is a social nightmare. The wine runs out, and um, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Just all the more proof that Jesus' mother was Jewish. Right? You're going to do it anyways. All right? And look at verse 6. Now there was six stones, water, water, six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants knew that it had drawn the water, uh, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him this, this is big, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. Why? Because later on they don't know the difference, right? You drink the good wine first because nobody will know the difference by the end of the wedding. You bring the poor stuff out, you know, the local gas station stuff then because nobody knows the difference. But notice this. You have kept the good wine, that is the, the water that Jesus turned into wine, until now. This was the first of his signs that Jesus did at Canaan and Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. All I have time to do is summarize the passage and this is the greatest news in the world. Are you ready? Here's the point. In this life, the party will end. The wine is going to run out. 
The music is going to fade. The jokes are going to be over. The, the music ends. The men and women go home. But in the kingdom of God, the party never ends. In fact, what gets served 10,000 years from now is even better than it is today. It keeps getting better and better and better and better. And where is that pleasure found? It's not found in the wine. It's found in the one who has the power to turn water into wine. Oh, oh, listen, you were created for a party, but that party is a person. It's Jesus. Oh my, listen to Psalm 19, 16 verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is what? Fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 36 verse 7. Oh, how precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. And what do they do? Hallelujah. They feast on the abundance of your house and you give them drink from the rivers of your delights. John 10.10, the thief may come to still kill and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. The Christian response to a world searching for a party is not stop pursuing pleasure. It's feast yourself, indulge yourself, drink until you're full on the one in whom the party never ends. That's the answer. Because you're created for a party. You are created to find meaning and pleasure, as Augustine said, and your heart will be restless until you find him. As C.S. Lewis said, your problem is you've settled for mud pies because you can't even imagine what it would be like to have a feast at the sea. That's the answer, folks. It's not stop pursuing pleasure. It's start pursuing real pleasure. In fact, here's the implication and we'll we'll, we'll be done. All this is... I prayed earlier that some will be set free. Hear this. You do not destroy idols of pleasure by removing them. And that's what some of you, I just, I'm, I'm just going to stop. I just won't do it anymore. You don't replace, you don't uh, get rid of, destroy idols of pleasure by removing them. You destroy idols of pleasure by replacing them. Here's what I mean. You don't stop, you don't turn away from porn or the bottle. You don't stop putting the headphones of music on the heartaches of life because pleasure is bad and you just need to stop it. You do it because that sin is destroying your appetites for a greater pleasure. Sex, wine, music, laughter fall short of the glory of God. They fall short of the glory of God. But when your delight is in the glory of God, then you can enjoy sex, wine, music, and laughter to the glory of God. In other words, rather than these things becoming gods, they become means in which you can worship and glorify God because your delight is not ultimately in them. Your delight is ultimately in Him. And then you can, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all the glory of God. Faith family, I'm going to ask you this morning, 
as bluntly as I can. Are you settling for gluttony at the buffet when you could have a feast at God's table? Are you running to the local liquor store when you could have communion wine? Are you settling for a few jokes when you could have joy everlasting? Are you singing the same song, different verse, when you could have a new song in your heart? You see, my fear is not that you're going to go pursue pleasure. My fear is you're not going to pursue it enough. You're going to leave this worship service today and you're either going to run to the world for the superficial or you're going to run to religion for the artificial. And both will miss the party. The one in whose hand are pleasures forevermore. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. I want to ask you this morning, point blank. Do you need to repent? Do you need to turn your eyes away from the pleasures of the world and on to Christ? Maybe there's some of you, you need to rededicate your life. But what is the ultimate pleasure of your heart? What is that thing in which you are ultimately pursuing satisfaction? The good news of the gospel is, in Jesus you never hunger again. In Jesus you never thirst again. Everything else, everyone else will leave you empty. Father, I pray for us. I pray for us that um, we would not buy into the lie of the world of meaning being found in, in, in the pleasure of this life, but we would understand the truth that pleasure is found in eternal life, abundant life, which only comes in Christ. And if there's anybody here today that doesn't have that, doesn't know Him, I pray that they would repent of running to the wrong things and by faith express their joy in Him. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.